Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of The Creativity Guru. I am your host, James Ippolitti. In this episode, I speak with Anna Pugh, an artist, creativity consultant, and deep focus facilitator who is interested in poking holes in the traditional beliefs about creative process and productivity. Each week, I speak with artists of all mediums, asking them about their creative journey with the hope that you may glean something from our conversations to help you on your own journey so that you may live your creative dreams. If you would like to support this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe. You'll get notified when I post new episodes. And being a newer podcast, it would mean the world to me if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get right to Anna Pugh on this edition of The Creativity Guru. Tell me about your history with creativity and how you ended up doing what you're doing now. God, it's a long and windy road <laughs> to get there. Well, um, however you want to tell it. Well, kind of start. I think the last couple of years have been an unraveling of my creative self. I think for me, I buried it so deep in who I thought I was supposed to be, who I thought I was supposed to show up as in the world. Um, traditional paths of success were sexier to me than the risk of of living an embodied creative life. If I trace it back, I mean, some of my strongest memories of childhood are standing in the backyard just painting, just doing whatever the hell I felt like. Um, Constantly lost in imagination, creativity. Um, Those were my favorite things to do as a child. And when I got to college, I went in, thinking I was going to be a philosophy major. I've always loved philosophy. I think it's so interesting. Yep. And I was the only girl in the philosophy department. Um, And as a freshman philosophy major, when there's all of these dudes trying to talk over you and tell you why you're wrong, it scared me out, if I'm honest. I got scared and I defected to the art history department where there were only two majors. (laughs) (laughs) And History was this beautiful opening up of, oh my God, I have always just observed the visual culture. I've always loved it. I've always loved, um, I've always loved art. I've always loved being in museums. I get lost in it. And the thing about art history was that it allowed me to engage with philosophy, uh, anthropology, sociology, visual culture, all of it was all wrapped up in art history. And so I just took off with it. I loved it. Um, I spent, so I went to school at a private Christian liberal arts college. So wow. we can unpack that later if you'd like to. <laughs> um, and I got a chance to go to New York for a semester in 2009 and it was an emergent arts program. So I was writing a thesis paper while I was there. I was spending tons of times in the museums I was interacting with a ton of other artists and it really just, it fed my soul in a way I'd never been fed. And it expanded my world, it made, forced me to really think about things It pushed me up against things that made me really uncomfortable. And in so many ways, I, when I talk about that time in my life, it was the, it was the moment I was born really. Um, because I finally was not trying to, it was, I was reckoning with fitting into a mold versus, choosing what felt right for the very first time in my life. 
The years following that were a lot of trying to make the smart decision and working for all of these startups and constantly burning out and feeling like I had these creative projects that I really wanted to be able to do, but I didn't have the time or the energy or the emotional capacity to handle them. And at the beginning of 2020, I hit my absolute wall with these jobs that I was working in. And I said, actually, no, I have to believe that I can choose a life of more frequently engaging my creativity. And that was a very hard hill to climb. But I had so many great examples throughout my life that I really kind of went back and and looked at who those people were that made that choice and made that choice unapologetically. And I did this really profound exercise at one point at the beginning of 2020, um, where I looked at, I made a list of all the people that I knew either personally or were kind of in my network, even if I didn't know them personally, whose story I knew that they had said, I'm going to choose this path and I'm going to choose it unapologetically. And I came up with a list of, it, it ended up being like 50 something people who would prove that all of my excuses about why I couldn't have that would prove me wrong. Right. And that was the moment when I kind of went, oh, this is in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. There's some big, big to overcome here, but there's a lot of people who, if I was in a one-on-one conversation with them, they would keep asking, well, why? Why can't you have that? Why can't you do that? Um, and I would, my excuses wouldn't hold up anymore. Um, so that's kind of the quick and dirty of how <laughs> I landed where I'm at now. And it's been a very turbulent 2020. It was a very turbulent era, uh, year for so many of us. But to be pursuing that, to be pursuing truth of expression in a year like 2020, and to be trying to do it unapologetically was such a beautiful expansion of where I'm at today. Yeah, you know, it's interesting so, you bring up 2020, because I think 2020 made a lot of people stop and look at their lives and say, what the hell have I been doing? And, you know, we had a lot of time to think about that, whether it was because you're now working at home or you're not working at all. You had to really ask those deep questions. Yeah, I totally agree. Somebody asked me in one of my comments, or maybe it was on a live one time, they said, how do you feel like 2020 affected your creativity? And I said, I think it was the absolute best thing that could have ever happened to my creativity. Because suddenly all of the external reasons why you can't sit down and be with something that's hard, and creativity is fucking hard, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Consistently engaging it is one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. So I didn't have the excuses that I usually use as to why I'm not going to be with it or why I'm not going to interact with it. Yeah, I think um, early, early on... I remember thinking, okay, well, we're locked down kind of. And if I get out of this and I look back and say, oh, my God, I had all this time at home and I, I have nothing to show for it. Because this was a time, you know, where I was like for a moment there, I was like sitting there and I had time to work on stuff. Um, there was no excuses at that point. So, I, I mean, you always got to look at things, try to find the good in, in even these horrible events. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's really nothing that we can do about the overarching event. 
And it brings home this idea that we are responsible for our response to things, our reaction to things, how we use the time, how we use the space. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a challenge to not feel like, okay, so now that I have this time, what, do I, what am I going to have to show for it? Um, and it's not even about that. And I think that's part of the unraveling. That's part of the unveiling is that, oh, it's about my process. It's about paying attention. It's about watching myself do the things I always do, listening to myself, tell myself the stories I always tell, and exploring those, exploring what goes on in that space. Where did this focus, focus, I'm using on deep focus, the focus on deep focus, where did that begin? And, and it's the thing that you said in one of your TikToks that really stuck with me, because I know I read it somewhere, the amount of time it takes for a person to get back into something once they're distracted. If you want to kind of talk about that, and because this is a struggle I have, and I'm sure a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why so many people, um, especially neurodivergent people, are drawn to creating art, engaging their creativity, is because we've been given this story about being chaotic people and not being able to finish things and not being able to stick with things and getting halfway into a project and then losing your momentum. It's like, there's a whole bunch of these stories that we all carry around with us. And 2020 was a tremendous lesson in surrender for me. I had to let go of a business that I had been working on for three years, felt really committed to, felt really passionate about. It was a beautiful intersection of interior design, which is a lot of what I've spent the last few years working on. And also, how does your interior environment reflect your internal state? What's going on with you? Um, and so I was getting to work with people here and there, but it just wasn't getting the momentum that I really thought I wanted it to happen. And so I hit this point around halfway through the year where I learned, figured out, you know what? I think it's about authenticity. Like, I think I'm trying to be a version of myself with this endeavor that is not my full self. And I just kind of slowly let it go. I slowly just surrendered to, if it's not this, I'm going to sit with the discomfort of not knowing and see what arises. And it was very uncomfortable, very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, this was probably around August, 2020. I went through a painful breakup in October. And then in December, I came back to TikTok. I made an account back in May. I didn't understand it. It felt, felt really chaotic and really crazy. And I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And in December, I just decided I, I, I was just going to talk to the void. And what do you know? It talked back. <laughs> the void yeah. talked back because I was talking about I was just letting things come. I was talking about creativity. I was talking about how hard it is. I was talking about, you know, like normal human common things and talking about them in a way that felt really authentic and true because of 
the things that I have watched myself go through for the last few years. And so I started going through the artist's way. And that was a complete whim. I had just hit a thousand followers and I thought, I want to be able to go live. I want to be able to talk to people. I think this is fun. And so I committed to doing the artist's way and going through the artist's way and making a video every single week, going live every single week and just showing up for it. Even though I had no idea where it was going to go, I had no idea what was going to happen from it. And it just blossomed. It felt effortless. I mean, I shouldn't say it felt effortless. There were so many weeks when I was like, if I don't make a video, who's going to know? Nobody's going to hold me accountable to that. I have to hold myself accountable. And so there was this big lesson about accountability that I was learning through that whole process and learning to commit to something you decide you care about. And in January, um, feel free to interrupt me at any point, by the way, because okay. <laughs> I could talk to a brick wall. <laughs> um, well, that's how January, I, that's how I, that's how I, um, I think was the first thing that I saw of yours was the artist way book club. And I, yes. I like I said, I think I read that years and years ago, but I was like, that's a great idea. And especially cause I'm was just learning how TikTok's working. And I was like, that's really a smart thing to do with live. Cause I still struggle with live as far as mm-hmm. the, the uncomfortable silence where you're like, you know, they're there and you know, like you're trying to talk, but that was a really good idea. Cause it's like, well, here you have a topic that you can talk about from a book. And, and that book opened me up to just reading a bunch, just like, I, of course, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert and big magic. And then um, I just picked up, this the steal like an artist which i really like a lot this is austin cleon uh it's a really I good you'll love it it's super easy too it's like he's an artist as far as like he does these little doodles but he talks a lot about you'll see like the artwork and stuff that he does in it and um it's a great little book and that you know one book always introduces me to another one always yeah the artist's way so what's funny about the artist's way thing is that I didn't remember that it was 12 weeks when I committed mm-hmm. to it. I just like made the video. I made it very impulsively. And then I picked up the book again and I went, oh shit, I have yeah. to commit to this for three months. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think that the lessons that I learned in that process, the things that opened up to me through the process of going through that book have completely led me to this point because what feels like out of nowhere, complete magic. I got an email from, do you know the organization Creative Mornings? Have you heard of them? Yeah, I have. They're a global organization. Yeah, it's a big creative networking group. And I went to a few of their events in 2019. um, And I just happened to get an email from them one morning that said, here's our events for virtual events for the week. And I get these emails every single week. I never open them. And I happened to open one that had a session that said, explore deep work in the cave. And it sounded so like, what the fuck? That I was like, I have to be free that time. I'm going to see, I'm going to check that out. There was something about it that just pinged. And I went, oh, that sounds interesting. So what it was is this guy who started this organization called Cave Day. And they started out as on-site, like in-person um, focus sessions. 
And obviously they learned how to do it digitally. And I got a chance to experience it. And from the first time, I think we only did like maybe a 20 minute focus session, but on that, I was like, oh my God, this is the way I want to work all the time. Can you explain that? Because I I don't know what a, a focus session is. Yeah. So it's a totally unconventional way of working. And I think that's one of the reasons why when I first experienced it, I went, oh my God, this is unlike anything I've ever done. I'm hooked. I'm signing up for this group right away. So essentially what it is, is accountability and commitment. Some two things that are sorely lacking in our culture. Um, And it's making time for yourself and holding yourself accountable to it. So the way that my sessions work is that when you join, it's a Zoom call. When you join, you state your intention. You actually rename yourself in the Zoom group so that you had to go out of your way to state what you're working on for the hour. That's smart. So it might be, I'm going to practice my base for this hour, or I'm going to start a painting, or I need to do research for this thing. Last week on one of my sessions, I'm actually working on an Oracle deck. And so much of that is just creating the text for it. And Mm -hmm. so I spent one of my sessions doing all the research and organization of what I need to do for that. So it's basically taking something that will very easily get shoved to the back of your list because of all of the other priorities and saying, this single hour, I'm only focusing on this thing. And the other part of it is that I have everybody kind of formalize what they're going to leave out of the hour session. So that can be a physical thing like notifications on your computer or um, your phone, or it can be a mindset. It can be, I have all this shit to do later on in the day. So just for this single hour, I'm just going to think about this one thing. So there's this kind of uh, energetic container that I hold for people to say, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm not doing. And that formalizing of a commitment, there's something really magical and powerful in that that allows you to get into that flow state because you've been very clear on what you're doing and what you're not doing. So that help make a little- It absolutely makes sense, but are you like, like the teacher like watching them, making sure, or is it just like, I'm? it's a like, honor system where I'm going to work on my stuff. Like how do you, like, it's just the commitment you're making to go to your session and typing that in is enough to make them just work through it. Nobody's like checking to make sure you're not looking at your phone. Nope. You it's your hour. You do what you want with it. There are sessions that I get on where I'm squirrely as all hell and I can't get myself (laughs) to sit down and focus. Not a good session for me. But I know that that doesn't mean the next time I do it, that it won't be a good session for me. Right. Because I know that's on me. And the, the cool thing about doing it virtually and doing it on Zoom is that by doing it virtually, you can be in your art studio, you can be practicing your instruments, you can be doing whatever it is you want to do. And because we're on mute for 40 to 50 minutes, nobody can hear you. Nobody, you can turn off your camera if you want to. It's like, it's totally your time to do with it. However you want to. I'm just here to help you hold the space for your creative capacity. That's smart. Yeah. I mean, that's really good. Cause I know like I can be in my space and say, I want to work on this drawing, but I haven't made that sort of, it's like, you're making that commitment, a solid thing, a, an actual thing I can point to. 
that call, that Zoom call is like a physical thing that like I did that. I made that commitment. I'm here. That's a really great way to uh, manifest that into your life versus I'm going to go in my room for an hour. Nobody knows. I didn't make any commitment. I'm just going to go in, but I could at any time. I got plenty of things to distract me in here, you know? So exactly. that's a really exactly. good idea. And it's really to know that, I mean, I personally, one of the reasons why this has really been so effective for me is that I was working for startups for so many years, which are notoriously chaotic environments where you can't get anything, any real good deep work done. And I hated how often I would get to the end of my day and go, what the hell did I even do today? Like, what did I even accomplish? I didn't have the opportunity to catch myself doing anything right because I didn't have the opportunity to catch myself doing anything at all. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of those companies run off of uh, chaos management. You know, it's just uh, everything is just putting out fires left and right versus this is what we're working on and we're going to do that and be focused. And like you brought up flow state, um, that is something I really think did you read the book flow? I have. Yeah. 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 I think uh, the whole concept of flow state is so fascinating. And I think one of the reasons why this way of working is great is that it's almost a formula for flow state. It's not foolproof because there's so much of you that's involved in it, but it is a way that artists, entrepreneurs, anybody who's really like wanting to go bigger and deeper with the kind of stuff that they create can manifest that state. Yeah. You know, it's, it's no different than meditation except for it's a working meditation, right? So a lot of people try meditation and they give up very quickly because their mind's racing and are like, this isn't working. And you know, we're just an impatient society. Um, But the idea that if you can try the, the deep focus, get into that flow state, it's going to be tough, you're going to have to work at it again and again, until you can get into flow, and then be open to it coming. But you're right, like it, there may be a learning curve there, because we're so used to being always thinking and always in our heads. And just to be focused on that. Yeah. It's such a great point that there is a learning curve. So I actually did, I'm ramping up to do, to expand my offerings, my times that people can join. And so yesterday I was doing kind of a trial session because like I said, I belong to this other group that does it, but I have this following on TikTok. And so Mm -hmm. I was thinking, God, this is perfect. And I feel confident that I can create this as well. I just needed somebody to show me what was possible. You know, I needed to be expanded in that way to see, oh my God, who knew that you could work like this and you could work like this virtually and you could create this space for people. Um, So I did three sessions yesterday. They were nearly back to back. I gave myself some small breaks. I was so fucking squirrely the whole afternoon. I wasn't even in a session and it was like, I was watching myself be ADD, like be unable (laughs) to just focus on a task because I had pushed my brain so far to focus in those previous three hours of the day that the rest of the day I felt chaotic and crazy. And so to your point about there being a learning curve, 
working this way is a very uncomfortable experience, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. And I think the rewards outweigh that discomfort. Um, And going back to the thing about catching ourselves doing it right, that's neuroplasticity. That's telling our brains we can accomplish things, that we can complete things, we can finish things, we can stick with something. That's right. And that's something that I've struggled with my entire life. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely a learning curve. As a musician as well, I know that had I tried to learn an instrument as an adult, I would have given up quicker. Um, as a younger mm-hmm. person, I didn't mind putting in that work and saying, I'm going to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to do this. Um, and I, we somehow, it's strange. You know, somebody who wants to become a doctor has no problem that realizing that they're going to go to four years and then another year, couple of years after that, and then intern and, and all that stuff. They realize that to put in that kind of work. But when it comes to creativity, we take up something. It could be art, it could be drawing, it could be writing, it could be music. And most people quit so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And Well, I think that a lot of that has to do with the value that our society puts on different endeavors too, right? Yeah. Like we are taught from a young age that our creativity is inherent. I don't disagree with that, but we are never taught that creativity is also a lot of fucking work. Right. That it's going to require that we stick with it, that we don't just work when we're inspired, that we commit to things, that we follow through with things the same way we would do with anything else. But the fact that endeavors of art and creativity have become so um, minimized and also glorified. Like I think they've become so polarized, right? Like there's a capital A artist who, you know, works their ass off. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the rest of us. So we don't have to work our asses off. But what happens between those two polarities though? A lot of work, yeah. a lot of commitment, a lot of slog, a lot of late nights, a lot of doing what we need to do to get the thing that we want, which is what we understand is happening in medical school. It's what we understand is happening in grad school of any kind. Right. Yeah. We just don't see that in the creativity field. I think some of the social media, you're starting to see those behind the scenes. We're kind of lifting the veil there. And that helps, I think, for people who are trying to do this. Um, You know, I like that we can be on here and show the behind the scenes of the hard work and, and make it clear. I know that you talk about it. I talk about it, that it is hard work. I see that a lot of people complain on these, you know, Oh, I did all this work and I didn't get any note of like that to me bothers me that there's so much time you put into it and nobody cares, but that's why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you wanted to have 50 likes a million likes? Are you doing it because you can't help but do it? It's great. We want that appreciation. But, you know, if that's the end goal, you're going to quit if that's what you're going after. Totally. I totally agree. It's one of the reasons why I've started talking on my TikTok. And I'm still kind of formulating how I feel about this, but that my TikTok from the minute I started just making shit in December, my TikTok is, if I look back, it is my creative process. Yes. I see ups, 
and I see downs and I see improvement and I see videos that weren't authentic. And so nobody gave a shit, you know, like I can see it. And that's why I think it is the most powerful thing to think about your content creation like that too. Absolutely. And I, you know, it was funny. I know that you put something about being burnout and I was burnout and I'm like, you know, I, I stepped back and I said, these posts, this stuff that I'm doing is a creative act. And so on top of maybe drawing or working on music, I'm creating content, which is a creative process that will burn me out if I don't accept that as part of it, you know? And I, I just recently was like, well, you know, I got, I, I'm starting to think I might not, like I'm going to just take Saturdays and Sundays off to recharge because it's just been doing this every single day. I'm like, you know, I have to see that as art as well what we're doing. You have to, because you will exactly, you will burn out the same way you burn out with every other creative project. Because it is a creative project. Anybody who tries to tell me differently about TikTok, like come walk a day in my shoes. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's hard fun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, since you brought up the Christian school, I want to ask you the um how did that affect you with art? Did they have restrictions on any type of art in the college, uh, you know, nudity or anything like that? And how does that affect your view on art today? Has that changed? Yeah, so I would say that my deconstructing of religion began the day I was born because my father is a minister of a very conservative congregation and I remember as a child going to, I grew up in Cleveland and going to the Cleveland Art Museum. And there's this huge Jacques-Louis David painting of Cupid and, um, oh my God, what is her name? The painting Anna is referring to is called Cupid and Psyche. You can Google that at the Cleveland Museum and take a look at it. And I definitely advise doing that. But now would be a great time to pause for our sponsor. Have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. I'm so serious. Super easy. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. Mostly, I'd use the computer, but I just did the phone, and it was super easy. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt, so so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get creative. And now let's get back to my conversation with Anna Pugh as she discusses her experience with Cupid and Psyche. It's Cupid getting out of bed. His penis is covered, but you can see like he's just made love to this woman. Right. And I just remember like looking at it, it's enormous. And I was little and I just remember looking at it being like, oh my God, that is the most, like I got it. Like everything being communicated in this painting, I just was overwhelmed by it. And I remember my mom yanking me away from it. Do not look at that scene <laughs> where people have had sex with 
there was the insinuation of anything. And that memory is so ingrained in me because I remember thinking, why would you tell me that any of this stuff is off limits? And it's a whole other conversation as to why I even went to that school. I was so, I was in such a weird closed-minded environment that I really didn't know I had the option to tell my family no, that I wasn't mm-hmm. going to do that, that I wouldn't go there. Um, but art history was the closest thing I had ever found to the truth because there were things that were off limits and I wanted to know why. I wanted yeah. to know why those were limits and why certain things um why certain things made sense to me and certain things didn't make sense to me I mean I remember my first times engaging with things like performance art I was like this is a load of bullshit well guess what's one of my favorite genres of art now right because it was so uncomfortable and it was so foreign and so Art history was one of the first places I learned to sit with things that were uncomfortable and not need to make sense of why they were uncomfortable. Because you can sit with a performance piece, you can sit with a painting for as long as you want to and ask yourself, why am I interested in this? Why am I repelled by this? And you don't need to know the answer right away. And there is just this beautiful opening up of things when you can let yourself sit with a piece of art that you're not sure about or you're not sure why you like it or dislike it. And I was so lucky to have an advisor who pushed the limits. He was this old British guy who everybody on campus thought was like the coolest guy and I just latched onto him because I knew there was something about the way that he taught that he was willing to push the envelope on what was permitted at this Christian school. And he is still somebody who I love and admire today. Um, And I needed those, I think I needed those people in my life to say, okay, so why do you think that? Why do you gravitate toward this piece? And have you ever thought it like, I thought about it like this people who could really kind of help me tease out the strands of, um, of dogma, really. Yeah. If I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. So um, I like how you brought up performance art and, you know, like if I'm sure when you were in New York, you were at the MoMA and uh, it's fascinating because you can hear people who will just openly be upset about some of the pieces at MoMA. Um, but I almost I like say, that. yeah, I, I encourage people um if, if you're not sure what you want to do creatively, or if you're stuck, try something like performance art, try something like abstract or, you know, contemporary, something out there. Because to me, um, there's an artist, Miranda July, who I really love. Um, she also does movies now, but I used to get her tapes back in the 90s, it probably was, where she was doing the most out there performance art, audio stuff that you'd ever hear. People thought I was crazy for listening to her. And um, you can't look at something like that and say, oh, this person's trying to be, no, they're, they are absolutely their most authentic self when you're going that far out. It's like, I, I think that's so courageous uh, when I see those, those type of artists. It's funny that you would bring this up. I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about 
my TikTok is kind of like a constant performance. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I'm in authenticity about what I'm presenting, that it's going to land better than when I know I'm performing. So it's this weird um, push-pull thing of life itself is a performance and we can either perform as ourselves or we can perform as other people. If we're going to perform as ourselves, we're going to have to do the deep work of understanding how that character will act, react, interact, all of it. But that's why it's kind of like, I don't resist the idea of life as a performance because I am trying to be my character after spending an entire lifetime trying to be other characters. And it is a lot of work, but it's also more fulfilling and in flow when I am performing as me. In kind of these these big character roles where they only have to exist for an episode. And so you have the other end of it besides the ghost is the employees of the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. And are you guys planning on being in the show or just writing, directing, producing? I mean, ideally, yeah, we, we wrote the script for us. So as the main two characters, uh, my character is a manager, a customer service manager at the hotel. And then in the first, one of the first scenes, he hires, um, Dylan's character, Bevy, uh, to be a customer service kind of rep, uh, guest relations person. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of touring him around the hotel and, introducing him to other employees and like some of the ghosts and stuff like that. So yeah, ideally we would be in it if we can, but if somebody, if somebody comes to us and says, well, we don't know you guys, but we like this and want to buy it, then obviously we would, we would discuss that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For the right price, we'll sell out. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're um, absolutely planning on being in it. And and the the proof of concept thing too, I played a ghost, but I'm not playing a ghost in the show type of thing. So it's, it's, it's one of those things we just wanted to show the tone. Yeah, it's it's interesting uh, that that scene that you did, the proof of concept is, is that the, I guess in some ways, yeah, it's kind of like a rated R in, I'm just saying you wouldn't have this on NBC, I would right, think. Right, I think uh, the show could be tailored to that if, if and, and that's the thing is the script, I don't, I struggle to remember if there's anything quite as raunchy in the script as, as the proof of concept video that, that obviously, as we mentioned, was improvised. So like, right. uh, it just kind of happened. And wait, we... wait, wait. So let's go back. You're improvising mm-hmm. and you're the, the employee of the hotel and you walk up. Did you know he was going to say that's what he's in the take like... that we ended up using? I, I would have because we had to refilm my reaction like right. 10 times because I couldn't <laughs> stop that. Like I, it just it cracked me up. It cracks me up to this day. And like it does. It's such a struggle for me because I haven't I don't know if I put anything out there uh, for like my friends and relatives and family and my my fiance's entire family to see that it has kind of that tone to it. So like it's 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 been mm-hmm. a struggle for me putting that out. But I keep coming back to the fact that every single time I watch it, I, I laugh my ass off. And yeah. I want to do stuff that makes me laugh. I want to do stuff right. I think is funny. So I have to yeah. kind of just like let it ride. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it cracked. What really got to me is when he, he needs people to watch. To me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you suggesting I'm going to go get some other managers and he's like, Oh, to watch. Like he's excited <laughs> and there's more people coming and you're like, no, I just yeah. don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, and like oh, that man. level of, uh, interaction. It was it was really funny. 
Really good stuff. That's good. I think some well, people I, some people see it and they're like, oh yeah, they just you know they have this great premise and they just went for a dick joke. And I'm like, well, it's funny. It was just it's funny. <laughs> I, I don't know what else. Yeah, to we want to be like, clear that like the the. The, the, that we have this like we have this like pretty raunchy proof of concept thing just to show like how th- this three we had a three camera setup for that shoot uh, so that we can get you know Matt's reaction we can get the ghost's reaction and we can get the um, you know the the kind of the the magic sauce which is this the still shot that we can then uh, impose the ghost's shot over so we can fade them out transparent, you know, to provide some transparency and stuff like that to the ghost. But like we, (laughs) there's not like the the script is not a bunch of dick jokes. It's on the (laughs) website. You can check it out and download it. Uh, I promise we're smart writers, but (laughs) but sometimes it's just like, if this is working as far as the chemistry in the moment and like my, my goal always will be to like, try to make my, scene partner laugh and i know matt shares that of like that's that's what we're going for is we're trying to go for that magic and capture that magic on set yeah but uh, you know i also like to think that if it was a real world happening there will be ghosts doing this right this is this is what you'd have to i i can't imagine like you know, like ghosts that, need love too man. they're not going to all of a sudden behave themselves now that they're in the other world I mean, right? that's the thing is yeah. like the, the scene is not while yes, like on the surface, it's about a ghost trying to suck his own dick, but <laughs> like it speaks to the overall, like it's the show. I mean, the show is like us trying to deal with ridiculous situations and it's a ghost. So it's like this, it's like normal, like stuff with supernatural elements to it. So like yeah. me talking to this guy about this is like, it's ridiculous, but it's made more so by the fact that it's a fucking ghost. Yeah. So then will you be bringing in ghost hunters to help you clear, like, like exterminators, like ghostbusters to come and take care of them. And is that part of this script or the story? Well, the, so the, the premise of this hotel is that is a, it is a notoriously haunted Chicago oh, so they hotel. Want them. And, and that's, that's the actual uh, allure of the hotel. Okay. People come, to this hotel so that they can stay in a room and then see ghosts kind of floating around and stuff like that. And normally the ghosts are, you know, are, are, are pleasant to these people, but then occasionally there's these random ghosts popping up from all spots of history uh, that need to be <laughs> removed from these guests' rooms because they're either spooking them too much, they're annoying them, they're trying to s their own d's in the room in the bed beside them, uh, you know, whatever, whatever these ghosts are doing, and that's that's kind of where the where the humor lies in that. Like, we have to go as guest uh, relations uh, uh, personnel, yeah. and remove these ghosts without actually being able to physically touch them. So we've got to use our yeah, that's our negotiation skills. We've got some other, you know, protocols that we can use, but we're not trying to get rid of these oh, ghosts. Okay, yeah, because then it's more like a, a, sort of like Disney World, like but with ghosts. That's the attraction. Sort of. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think some people are expecting expecting kind of like us to touch on that, like the whole ghost hunter kind of right. uh, phenomenon. But um, yeah, I think it was just more interesting to us if the ghosts were completely commonplace. Like everyone's kind of at least the staff, at least are completely used to them. And then you yeah. have the, the mm-hmm. guests for whatever reason that had to stay there that like need help or whatever. But like, it was just more interesting to us if they were just a part of this world yeah. naturally. Yeah. So the, 
Yeah, the idea of like playing a very ridiculous situation, very straight. Yep. And, and playing it like, like, oh yeah, that's that's a ghost. Yes, absolutely. But you know, did did you also get your credit card for incidentals? Like, <laughs> because that's what that's what I'm more interested in this scene. You know. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How close are we to seeing this become a reality? I know you're raising money. Yeah, we're fundraising. So uh, I think the long-term plan for us, unless something happens before we execute all of this, is to get enough money to film the pilot, uh, film it in Chicago with possibly some interior scenes in L.A., uh, depending on the actors that we can secure, and then uh, go the festival circuit. Um, I just got to L.A., so I don't have like a ton of contacts that I can be like, hey, read this and help me get it produced. So I think the festival circuit is probably the best route for us. to. And, and for me, like it would be huge to have a full length pilot, like at the ready uh, for the rest of our careers to be like, even if it didn't happen right now, be like, it's something you can always come back to. It's something you can always point to and say, like, I made this, we wrote this, we produced it. We, we starred in this TV show. So mm-hmm. that's more interesting to me. And then, yeah, just like sending it off to festivals and hoping we get some sort of traction. Yeah. All right. The, um, when it comes to the cast besides you, have you have other people in mind that you'd love to have included? Absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've got, um, some people in mind, but we also want to do, uh, open casting. So we want to give back to our communities, uh, as, as much as we can. It's one of the reasons why we're fundraising this is because we don't want to be like, Hey, can we cash in this favor? And you do a, a two day, uh, 10 hour day shoot, uh, for us for free, but we want to, we want to compensate the actors for their time. We right. Wanna, Absolutely. We want to have top quality sound. We want to have top quality lighting and everything. We want to put together a good show. Uh, so we have people in mind that we definitely want to audition, but we want to have some open casting as well so that this person can walk in and nail this, you know, this person we don't know can walk in and nail this part. And we're like, Oh my gosh, we're so glad we found you. Uh, yeah, right. But we do and have if you some... know where we can get Bill Murray's phone number. That would be ideal. Yeah. We're trying to get him. Oh, look, <laughs> trying get to get him involved. Yeah. His reprise role as a ghost this time. Um, we yeah. do have, uh, uh, try to get like, um, if you know Tim Robinson, um, that's someone we have in mind too. If 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 you're familiar with like that that name and like that type of echelon of of people that we are are in kind of the peripherals of our circles that we're going to try to draw in, just so we can get some more name recognition too behind the show. Right now, Bill Murray played well. He was in Zombieland. Yeah, and uh, as not technically a zombie, but he dressed up. That was a good scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that's what's really, like you said, that's a great thing about this show is uh, it could have all these special guests that could come in, you know, if it, even if they're not like a regular, just having that uh, would really be fun to see Bill Murray coming into that hotel. You yeah. Know? So, <laughs> come in into this Ghostbuster um, outfit. <laughs> no. <laughs> there, um, so c- moving forward, outside of Ghost Hotel and by the way, it's ghosthotel.show, so please go to that and check it out. All the things we're talking about is there. What do you have coming up next, each one of you? Matt, you got anything you want to plug first? Uh, for me, this is kind of my focus right now. Um, what else? I mean, like, just getting to L.A., I'm I'm on the search for a new agent and manager, so that, that whole thing, updating all the 
acting materials, headshots and like stuff like that. So, um, yeah, just kind of getting settled here. I just got here in January. So, um, that and ghost hotel, probably the biggest things I'm kind of constantly writing as well. So I was going to ask you about the writing. So is that like, are you always writing different screenplays to, yeah, I mean, I had a pilot I wrote before this one. And then, um, right now I'm just practicing on some like late night writing for like, James Corden or Jimmy Fallon stuff like okay. that. Um, so like jokes, monologue jokes and segments and stuff. And then um, working on a couple of short films right now that I would hope I could film within the next like maybe few months. And Dylan. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to the uh, live comedy scene coming back to life here in Chicago. Uh, I've got my yeah. first live show booked in July. Uh, which is going to be my first live show back in Chicago. Uh, I've been doing stuff in uh, at my murder mystery shows in Cincinnati and uh, Fort Wayne and South Bend during this time, but it's my first time back in Chicago. I'm just super excited to be in front of a a, a hungry audience and stuff. Um, but uh, other than that, I've got two more dinner detective locations to open up in Springfield, Illinois, and Toledo, Ohio. I'm going to try to get those open as soon as possible here. Hopefully, you know, avoiding this Delta variant catastrophe that could potentially be upon us. Um, but yeah, let's hope not. Um, but yeah, just really looking forward to this kind of upward trajectory. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always auditioning for voiceover stuff and commercial stuff and, and, uh, you know, just seeing what holds. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm looking forward to this, uh, this you know this tour with Josh Johnson that I'm just learning about. So yeah, this is this is great. Oh yeah, he's got. I'm telling you, he told me like he's even he's took everybody's um, location in consideration. You know because I think the choir is out in New York, but somebody's out in L.A. and I don't know who that is. But one of the guys who worked on Elusive is out there. So yeah, yeah that'll be a lot of fun. And if you're going to New York, I'll come see you guys because that's a hop, skip, and a jump for me. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. So are you planning on like scoring Ghost Hotel? Um, Like, would you do that? Or is that you're not even want to think about doing the music for it? Oh, no, we've we've definitely given it some thought. Um, I mean, Matt and I have talked about this, like how important a soundtrack is to a comedy show. I mean, think of think of like the the um, Curb Your Enthusiasm soundtrack. Yes. Like those little songs, the Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like these like these iconic little jingles that you don't realize how important they are until you see them out of context and as a, like a backdrop of a TikTok video. And you're like, Oh my gosh, yes. this is making it funny. I, I don't know. Yes. It's, it's magic. So we're definitely going to put a lot of thought into that. I will definitely be doing some original scoring and stuff for the show. Um, but I don't think that it's going to be exclusively me. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably play around with creating the theme song ourselves Right, uh, we, we have this idea for kind of a you know <laughs> comedically bad type of theme song uh, that <laughs> that we want that we want to write, uh, but uh, yeah, I think we, it's just so important to set the tone of the show. Now, when you're um, this is just me geeking out on gear, but when you're up there on stage and you're doing all the looping, um, one, are you using like Ableton or using what are you using for the loop? Ableton is what I use in um, my like uh, recording sessions and stuff with with artists, and um, what I use for voiceover um, right. in the studio. But live, I'll be using a couple different um, analog loop pedals. So okay. I, I don't like to have too much computer involvement 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. For two reasons, because it always fails. Uh, <laughs> I, you, you, you can be as comfortable with it as you want. It will it will break at some point. Um, so the plug and play seems to be better. And then I don't want my eyes uh, diverted to uh, screens and stuff when I'm trying to connect with an audience and stuff. So I've got an Electro Harmonics four-track looper, uh, a, uh, I think it's called a DL, uh, Line 6, DL6 or something like that. Yeah. Um, loop pedal, delay pedal, uh, Boss 5 reverb. And then I just got a new toy uh, as well for the for the um, live act that does like auto-tune and stuff, just in case I want that effect. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like you are the happiest man in a room watching that. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I, I guess to me... I think the like there's so many levels of your performance in that comedy special. I mean, there is the technical aspect that is just fun to watch when you do the beatboxing, doing the looping, and building a joke almost, you know, with music. In, mm-hmm. Which before you even start lyrics, and and that's the other question I have here: is that fake French? Whatever you're doing, or or do you know how to speak French? Because I don't know French, so I don't. You could be saying. Besides uh, the, like, fromage. No, no I did not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know. Uh, no, I, I, that's, that's all completely gibberish. I'm like, hey, you know, give me those, uh, give me those white European countries to, to mock. You know, I, I, I got that. <laughs> that's, I, I still, I can still mock the Germans. I can still mock the French, you know. For now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For now. And, For now, yeah. And so yeah. when you're doing these Im- improv, <laughs> and I, I I laughed. This is another thing that I laughed at that I don't know. The corn joke where <laughs> she's eating corn and then you're eating the corn. That was completely improv. And do you pause and say, oh, shit, like I lost them there. Like you even say that. But yes, does that happen often? Like because your mind's yeah, just yeah. going wherever you want it to go. Yeah. Well, there's there's, you know, you're kind of like. You're kind of in, in in that act. You're in this strange, strange zone where you're kind of syncing up magically with like the improv uh, gods, and you're just like, um, sing, like all the words are coming to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm rhyming, and I'm also making sense, and it's funny, and then that doesn't happen the whole show. So you will <laughs> you will inevitably <laughs> force yourself into a rhyming scheme where you say something that either makes no sense or is like just weird and then you have to call attention to that that it's like this is this that was improvised that was that was dumb that was weird uh and uh we we were all here for that it wasn't that crazy now back to the song you know that's so that's yeah that's the the joy of improv and you have to like i mean why pretend that something didn't happen when it did so so undercutting (laughs) yourself in that way gets a laugh every time as well like once you get to that point <laughs> yeah. you build 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 and then if something doesn't hit and you're like well that didn't hit then that's gonna hit and it's like yeah yeah yeah, it's gold. yeah you absolutely did uh hit with that i i you got me with both because i thought it was funny to begin with and then uh, you recognizing that not everyone thought it was as funny as <laughs> really <Yeah>. worked. <laughs> like it got me on two levels. So you guys are a lot of fun. I'm really hoping Ghost Hotel happens because it is my kind of comedy. And um, yeah. I would love to have you guys back on anytime you want to promote something in the future. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks well, for having yeah. us. Really appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, guys. And uh, I will put all your uh, – so where are you guys? on? You're on Instagram. Why don't you shout those out? Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, yeah. 
Okay. Matt, Matt's got a fun fun little scheme. He does uh, he does Maddie Maddie do tweets for his Twitter. He does Maddie Maddie do photos. Uh, Maddie do photos for Instagram. Instagram. Are you Maddie do TikToks? What do you do? Maddie do vids. Maddie so do like vids. Everyone thinks my name is Maddie Dovids. Maddie Dovids. <laughs> Maddie Dovids. It's name. not a bad name. No. Maddie Dovids. So yeah, Maddie do whatever it is. <laughs> tweets. Uh, Maddie do tweets. Maddie do photos. Maddie do vids. Nice. Yeah, dude. And I'm a cop out. I'm just Groovebox on all those platforms, you know. So that's, all right. that's just what Get I'm those doing. songs up on Spotify <laughs> so I can you know, listen to them in my car. <laughs> I will I will do. Hey, I'm I'm I am on Spotify though. Right now I'm popping off in Brazil. I just looked at my numbers just uh I always laugh I don't know at that. how they found me down there, but man. <laughs> I post some songs up just cuz whatever and I'll be like I, one of my friends and I wrote a song together and I always tease them. I'm like, "Yo, we like uh, are big in Switzerland or something. For some reason, <laughs> up in that area, our one song has made like five dollars globally. <laughs> and I told him next time I see you, I owe you two fifty. So, but uh, uh, it's been a great, great time having you guys on again. Please let me know what's coming up, and I'd love to have you back. Awesome, yeah. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for having us. Man. All right, take care. Take bye bye. <laughs>